So a few weeks went by and I get a call from someone and as I, I have described him in the past, he almost sounded giddy on the phone. And he was like, we think you're the one we can build our study around. And so began that journey with NIH as they worked hard to try to uncover and discover the, the correlation between your genetic makeup and heart disease. And as the study began, I remember sitting down with my family and just saying, from what I've been told, none of what I'm doing in this study is going to really help me. There's not going to be an answer that's going to change my life. But if I could help our children and their children, that to me seemed to be worth it. Welcome to the second episode of ChatGPC. On this episode, you'll hear a conversation with Rick Del Santro. His story of being in Ironman competition shape one day and then confronting a rare genetic condition that predisposed him to heart disease is inspiring. And the lessons he learned as he moved through it and into his life and work have something for us all to learn from. I had a great experience getting to know Rick better, and I'm excited to share his story with you. Welcome to ChatGPC, Episode 2. The easiest way to do is start from the beginning. My mother died of heart disease. She died during her third open-heart surgery. Uh, very young. She was 69. Her father had been one of the first 100 people to have open heart surgery in the U.S. and also died of heart disease, coronary artery disease. Of course, growing up, I didn't think much about it other than to say I was keenly aware of the fact that I had to try to stay fit, eat properly, and and just do the right thing so that um, I could avoid any issues you know, later down the road. And it started for my family when my sister Robin, who is also a member of our church here, she wasn't feeling well and didn't know what it was. And she was fairly young at the time. Um, And I'm going to say she was probably in her 40s. She ultimately went to see a, a cardiologist and they did a a catheterization on her and realized that she had some blockages and she needed stents. And it seemed odd to me because she was always, again, kept herself in good shape and had no telltale signs of anything. So she was really the one that called us eight of us in our family. So she called her seven siblings and said, I really think you should all get checked out because I'm concerned for us as a family. I had a younger brother at the time in his 30s who actually took the advice and went and had a stress test done. And he went straight from the cardiologist's office to the hospital and had emergency double bypass surgery. And again, this is fit kid, guy, young man, no telltale signs that didn't have high cholesterol, didn't have high triglycerides. He was totally asymptomatic. That's when I said, okay, I I better go do something. So I went to my general practitioner and he put me on the, the EKG machine, which is fine if you're about ready to have a heart attack or you're having a heart attack, but it doesn't really tell you anything. So I went and I got a full body scan and I came back And my calcification score was through the roof. I mean, it was just beyond anything you could imagine. It was 350 or 400% 
what it should have been for someone my age. So I said, you know what, I have to go see a cardiologist. At the time, I was probably in the prime of my fitness. I had just competed in my first Ironman competition in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And, you know, you just have to be in a pretty decent shape to get through that. It's, you know, 2.4 mile swim. It's a 112 mile bike. And then when you're done with that, you get out and you run a marathon, right? So it's a long day and, and you have to be fairly fit to do that. So I, when I went in to see the cardiologist, he looked at all of my records before he came in the room and he walked in and he said, what in the world are you doing here? I said, look, let me tell you my story. If at the end you think I'm being ridiculous, you can throw me out and I'll never come back. And so I went through everything with him and he said, okay. He said, based upon everything you're telling me, I, I think we should run some tests. And so we did for the next really six weeks, we ran all kinds of different types of stress tests and everything seemingly checked out. I remember when he called me one day, he was in an airport. He was on his way to vacation with his family. And he said, look, you know, the test checked out perfectly. And I said, well, okay. Does that mean I'm in the clear? And he said, not necessarily. And I said, well, great. He said, the only way we really know is if we went in and did a catheterization as well and, and went in and take a look. And I said, okay, well, I guess I'd like to do that. And so he went in, they looked, um, I had some blockages, none of them were serious enough to stent, but there was no denying that I had this calcification. And so I remember I was sitting or laying down in the hospital. Normally at the time they had gone through your, your leg and I didn't have enough fat to where they could sort of plug it up after the procedure. So I had to lay flat for like four hours or six hours or something. And during that time, somebody came up to me and said, hey, you might be interested in, in applying for this study at NIH. Hmm. ClinSeq was doing a study on trying to determine your DNA makeup and heart disease. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll take a look at it and didn't think much about it. But I did bring it in. I put it on my desk and it was, you know, I saw it for a few days. And so finally I, I went and I called them and I got a voicemail. Nobody called me back. And probably a week or so later, I did get a call from somebody and they said, you know, have you come in and we'll interview you and talk to you, but we're going to send you a bunch of information first on family history and we need all this filled out. And so I remember working with my sister on it and just getting everything filled out and I went into um, NIH and I spent the whole day there um, with this department. They asked me lots of questions, went through lots of different testing, again, left there and they said, okay, we'll get back to you if, if we think, you know, you're good for the study. But I was like, great. So my initial thought was, look, if I'm part of the study, I'm probably getting some of the best care in the country, right? So there isn't really too much of a downside here. So a few weeks went by and I get a call from someone and as I, I have described him in the past, he almost sounded giddy on the phone. And he was like, we think you're the one. And I said, you think I'm the one what? And they said, we think you're the one we can build our study around. You are the perfect candidate for what we're looking for. And we want you to come in. And so I did. And so began that journey um, with NIH as they worked hard to try to uncover and discover the, the correlation between your genetic makeup 
and heart disease. If they could find what gene was skipped or missed in a sequencing or what extra gene maybe you had or what that telltale gene was, they figured they could get in front of heart disease for people. And as the study began, I remember sitting down with my family and and my wife really at the time my children were young and just saying, from what I've been told, none of what I'm doing in this study is going to really help me. There's not going to be an answer that's going to change my life. But if I could help our children and their children, that to me seemed to be worth it. And so really began that journey of that process of, of being part of that ClinSeq study. And I recall at the time, I was one of the first 10 people maybe in the country that was fully gene sequenced. At the time, I think it was well over $100,000 to get gene sequencing done. And today, of course, you know, I think it's... 23 and me, it's like yeah, forty nine ninety five. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was also an interesting process because one of the things they could find out lots of things about you from doing that gene sequencing completely unrelated to heart disease. And that was an interesting journey as well as, as whenever they found something that they wanted to discuss. But that's kind of the story. So given that we're talking about this in the basement of a church, yeah, I'm curious about your relationship with faith at that time. Attending a church, we see the cycles of life. You know, this summer has been poignant in that way. Yeah. And so we know we're all on this journey that's that has an ending for each of us. And yet, I think when you're a young person, particularly you as a triathlete, I mean, in those moments, you know, you you feel pretty invincible. Sure. <laughs> and so to go from that level of invincibility, that, that peak of fitness, absolute, what can harm me? I can run a marathon after I ride 112 miles, after I swim 204, you know what I mean? Yeah. What went through your mind as you were exploring that from the standpoint of your relationship with God? Look, I think my relationship with God has been the one thing that has allowed me to really get through this and work through this. If I have to think about my immediate thoughts, they were about my family, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's fairly natural. Like, what happens if something happens to me? Are they going to be cared for? Are they going to be put in a bad situation? Or can I leave them in a good situation? But but after that, you do start thinking about your own mortality to a degree. It's hard not to. You know, we all think we're invincible, right? And as we haven't hit that circle of our lives where people are aging and, and passing on. And so for me, it was really just reinforcing that relationship and just knowing that God was going to do work through me. What he was going to do, I didn't know. And I've always felt that way. I've always felt like, God has plans for me, and at the time, I may not really understand what that plan is or was, but at some point, I, I'd figure it out. I had a trust that there was something here that I needed to do or understand or, or be a part of that was maybe bigger than my, my life. It was scary. It's less scary today, believe it or not, than it is. I think at some point, it, maybe it jumps up. And, and bites me, but I, I just feel like if I continue to put my faith in God, then he'll do his will. I still continue to be very active today. I play in a pickup soccer league, a pickup basketball league, and and I work out four days a, a week. And so I think if you talk to my cardiologist, he would prefer I quit the sports 
I try not to push myself too hard and I never did another triathlon again because that was definitely a no-no. And without my faith, I don't know how I would get through it. That would be challenging. I don't know what I'd rely on to really think things through and keep focused. Mm. I grew up in a Presbyterian church, very small Presbyterian church, which is kind of odd because I have two Catholic parents. And somewhere along the way, my grandparents did not raise my mother in the Catholic church. They raised her in a Presbyterian church. And I never got the whole story behind it. There must have been some falling out there. And so I grew up in a very small little Presbyterian church where my mother was my Sunday school teacher. I mean, mm. I have been apt to say that once uh, I went through my confirmation, I started my sabbatical from God, but was reunited in my faith when I got to college. So there was probably about a, a solid four-year period in there where I wasn't. And I've always stayed active and, and never really found a home, a true home, as I moved around a lot. And so that kind of prevented me to, from finding anything. My wife and I had had our first child, Sienna. We knew we needed to bring her up in, in faith and expose her to it. My wife is Catholic. I'm Presbyterian. And so we started looking at churches and we looked at Catholic churches the feeling was they were just too rigid for us. And that's not a knock on them. It's just a preference. So my wife, living here in Georgetown, started popping in to different churches. I would stay home with my daughter, and she would go to church on Sunday and come back and report. And she came back and she said, oh, my God. So I went to Georgetown Presbyterian Church, and they have a female pastor, and she's young, and she's great, and you've got to go see her. And I said, okay. So the following week, I, I went. Camille had just gotten here. Hmm. So I guess that's 11, 12 years ago. I went, thought she was great, said, look, this feels like the right place for us and the right place for us to bring our, our daughter. Everybody, you know. You hear this often about Georgetown Presbyterian, but it's very open. It's very warm. It's very welcoming. The people are wonderful. And and it, all of that was true then, and all of that's true today. And so if you can make somebody feel welcome, that's a big part of it. And then Camille's messages were always on point, and it's been a good trip so far. <laughs> Back when I started coming here, I had probably been a few years into founding a business. We were a national franchise concept in the portable moving and storage business. I was there from its founding. I was the founder. It would have been 2009 or 2010 through maybe May of 2018. Mm. I left in 2018 in large part because we did another round of private equity. It was a big round and the business had changed. And I went from being the owner founder to feeling more like an employee employer relationship. And that's fine. We knew when we went out to raise capital that the dynamics would change. For me, I, I, it had been a really long year from 2017 to 2018, the year of 2017 year. And so I was really ready to move on. And it was weird because I remember coming here and meeting with Pastor Camille and, and Rachel was here at the time as well. And I was really lost. I was like, I, I don't know if I, what I just did made any sense at all. And like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And did I just do the dumbest thing ever, just walking away from this? 
again, you know, as it turns out, I didn't. So I evolved into what I do today. I work for a private equity group. I'm a partner in it. And we go out and we look for young, unestablished franchise concepts. And we go in and work with the the founders and try to help them build those businesses and scale them across the country. So what do I do? I work on entrepreneurs every day. It's fun. Mm. Um, I like what I do. It's not easy, but there's not a lot that's, I think, really easy in this world to do. But I, I enjoy doing what, what I do. So, Have you found times in your work where your faith informs the decisions that you make or informs the, the conversations that you might have with, with somebody around that area? It's interesting. I think faith is plays a part in decisions that I make as a husband, as a father, as a business person. I, I think where it impacts me most in business is just how I try to deal with people, how I, I try to be accepting and understanding and meet them at where their personalities are. I've always felt like the best ways to lead in, in the world of business are by example, by example, and by example. If you can set good examples for people, that's a big part of what you can do. I feel like uh, along the way I've done that. I've had a lot of people who have worked for me in the past, and I think those relationships have been good and strong, and I still hear from them from time to time, even though I may no longer be with those companies. I think that weighs on your mind everything does. You're trying to balance being successful by measures of business and being successful by measures of what's really important in your life. And so, yeah, that it does play a role. And I guess you just have to think about the impact of things on individuals and on, on your business as you look to make decisions. Yeah, you, you you mentioned something that that I've thought about, you know, of, of late, and it's just this idea of like what's important. I think that one role that church can play is to point us away from some of what the world is emphasizing as what's important. You know, whether yeah. it's your views on Instagram or whether it's the <laughs> you know the money in your bank account or whatever it is. Right. You know, it's this sort of gentle reminder. As I think about your story, you had this huge reminder early on that being mortality at a time when most people are not thinking about mortality yeah that that gave you a perspective that many people would be wise to gather earlier on but then now you seem like a calm ship in the sea in some ways and i've you know i've noticed this about you just around here at gpc i was inspired by your your third space and by also your argument for this very thing, which is let's not silo ourselves. You yeah. know, let's try to make this as inclusive of a community as possible. Can you talk more about that? When, when I look to make a decision, not the simple day-to-day things, the big decisions, you always said, okay, what would my mother think? What would my mentor think? And what would my maker think about these decisions? So the three M's, hmm. right? And, and I try to focus on, on that and, as I make these decisions. And just on a personal level, I've, and this is going to sound corny, and I'm not always good at it. I, I want to say this, like I know I fail at this. But even when I walked into the church door today, I stopped and reminded myself and I said, 
everybody that I come in contact with today, I want them to feel better about themselves when I leave. Hmm. Now, do, do I do that all the time? No, of course not. But that's, that's sort of my goal. And that's how I look at this third place, right? This third place is really big and it's really important in our lives because for me, coming into GPC refocuses me every single week and I need that. Mm. And it's not just Camille's sermon. That's an aspect of it. But it is literally being able to sit next to people who I share a distinct passion, uh, and uh, you know, for God with, and that is important. And so, the third place to me is you've got your home life, and you've got your work life, and everybody needs that other place, right? I just hope for more people that place is their church, is their f- place of worship. For me, it's critical. Uh, I love the fact that when I do sit down in a pew and I'm sitting next to somebody, it does not matter to me what their profession is. It does not matter to me what their politics are. All that matters is I know we have a similar faith. Mm. We believe something, and that's what matters. We're in D.C. We are in the Mecca where everything is political here, everything. People draw judgments based upon whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, an Independent whether you're an attorney or you're a social worker. Um, people are quick, I think, to form judgments. And in here, this is judgment-free. Mm. It, it isn't because we're all sinners. We all have been forgiven for our sins, and we're all striving to be our best Christian lives, You know, live our best Christian lives and, and, and be those examples to others. I think if you went around, 100% of the people here would say they fail. They come, they you know, they come short in that. But they're here, right? Mm-hmm. So it means they're they're striving. And so, for me, GPC is my third place. Um, I don't know what I'd do without it. I think there are many others that feel that they might not think about it in that context, but I think they're here for the same reasons. And when we were shut down as a church during the pandemic. I mean, I was a big advocate for let's get back there. And and as great a job as I believe you did and the whole team did, it it doesn't replace that connectedness. And we are we are social beings. We need to feel connected. Oh, we um, were we were very aware of that very yeah. quickly. Very rarely in our lives do we have an opportunity to, to do things in synchronicity with other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens in certain spaces. It happens at the soccer games when everybody sings a song together. Yeah. To a certain extent, you know, at, at uh, the national anthem, um, whatever it is. And, you know, we hold on to those traditions. Why? It doesn't make any sense to sing the national anthem before a, a, a football game. It doesn't. And yet we hold on to it because we want to sing together. Mm-hmm. We want to do something yes. together. That feeling of a, of a whole stadium or a whole church doing something, however well or not it doesn't matter it's yeah. that shared engagement which you speak so passionately and and eloquently about people's stories i think are so valuable and and they are the vehicle that we use to convey to the world what our values are but also where we've been our experiences and all the rest of it and mm-hmm. i know that you're an incredibly valuable member of this congregation it's been a delight to Thank get you. to know you Thank and you. um the part of this of this family that you that you play the role in it's yeah. just a it's a delight well, thank you. And, and so I, I think the, the feeling's mutual. I always feel like I owe the church and the people on 
the staff a debt of gratitude because what what you do for me every time I'm here and even when I'm not here now is is amazing and that grounded feeling when Camille or whoever is preaching that day but most specifically because it is up quite often Camille gives her benediction at the end mm. it, it sends chills up my spine because that is the charge that I walk out to every week and for me there's nothing better than hearing that and this is this is what you need to go out and do and if you can take that with you and you can just get from Sunday to Sunday <laughs> and get recharged it's a great feeling so I appreciate what you all do and am happy to play my my part albeit small but I'm happy to do it thank you for listening to this second episode of chat GPC just by listening you're helping us create the virtuous circle of stories and draw us closer together as a community if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe to chat GPC on your favorite podcatcher if you listen on Apple podcasts it helps spread the word if you give us a rating and review. Until next time, may you find joy, inspiration, and a deeper sense of community as we continue to explore the beautiful stories that bring us together. Thank you for listening to ChatGPC.